support for Ukraine, a show of solidarity in Vancouver as Russian forces close in on Kyiv. Also tonight. The first one they're trying to get inside at the back door. A spike in smash and grabs leaving Vancouver business owners walking on broken glass. Plus. It's a big loss. People love the place. Taking apart a piece of history, why the Abbott Pass hut must come down. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. In Kyiv, an apartment building hit by a Russian missile. Security camera footage released by the State Emergency Services of Ukraine shows a rocket slamming into a high-rise. Ukrainian officials claiming at least 80 residents were evacuated, six civilians injured. Walls of several individual suites were blown out, but it appears the high-rise remains standing. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Nithu is off tonight. Ukraine's fate remains top of mind for much of the world days after the Russian assault began. Today, hundreds in Vancouver joined many others across the country and around the world in protesting the invasion as Russian forces tried to advance on the capital. Paul Johnson begins our coverage. Check out Vancouver's contribution to a movement that's sweeping cities globally. At its peak, there were likely more than a thousand at the Art Gallery Saturday, many with no direct connection to Ukraine, others who haven't slept in days. We have relatives all over Ukraine, Kiev, Zaporozhye, Uzhgorod, Lvov. You name it. Since Thursday, this man has been thinking a lot about the Soviet-led invasion of then Czechoslovakia that he witnessed. I never believed 60 years ago that what happened in 68 would happen again in Europe now. That is just unbelievable what's happening. That's why I'm here. As the Russian onslaught continues, there are two forces inspiring the protest movement. Worry over the humanitarian disaster that all wars bring, but also the stunning resolve of the outgunned Ukrainians, from civilians who were taking up arms, to the president who continues to broadcast himself from the capital he refuses to leave. Unverified video from around the country appears to show substantial destruction of Russian army units that some had previously thought unstoppable. Can the Ukrainians hold out, and if so, how much longer do you think? I have no idea, but they're very brave people, and they'll do their best to hold out as much as they can. Mir Hukalak is Ukraine's honorary consul in Vancouver and was near the head of the column as the crowd marched to Jackpool Plaza. In a sign of how this is playing out in Canada, his diplomatic counterpart for Russia has now resigned her position rather than represent Moscow. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Now, behind the hundreds of people who felt compelled to demonstrate at the art gallery today are the personal stories of individuals and their families whose lives are caught up in the invasion of Ukraine. And Madagahi has that part of the story. The voices heard in every chant, the palms holding up signs and flags all belong to someone who is concerned and in a real way connected to what they describe as fear 
and suffering. It is uh, my baby, Olivia. She was born here and she is safe. But she has a sister who is just a week older than her in Ukraine. And we are concerned about her. We have to be strong uh, because they are strong there. This young family calls the Ukrainian people the shield between Russia and the rest of the world. My grandma is in Gluchov. Gluchov is close to Sumy. Sumy is currently where the war zone is happening. She has nowhere to go. She has nowhere to run. So she's in the basement. And speak to Maria Milosevic, and she'll tell you if she was home with her family outside of Kiev, there is a good chance she would be taking up a weapon like many other civilians. My, my mom and my dad and my sister, they had to leave their apartments because the neighborhoods, it was not safe. My brother, his wife and his daughter, they were hiding in shelters, bomb shelters, yesterday all day. People don't sleep there right now. They can't, you know, it's a different reality. They hear like bombing, they hear planes flying, like they're looking for shelter and place of, you know, safety. Then there is Vitaly Shalukin, born to a Russian mother and a Ukrainian father. He drove here from Abbotsford. He grew up in Ukraine and tells me his father was confronted by Russian military on the ground this week in their hometown of Kherson. He came out, they saw that he wasn't armed or anything, and they ended up uh, having a conversation with him. And, you know, and turns out that they're very scared. They don't know what they're doing in Ukraine. They're like, that's not, you know, normal people don't want the war. This isn't the first and won't be the last large show of support by Ukrainians in Metro Vancouver. It's peaceful and passionate. And Zlata Zolotarova wants others who may plan to join to know. I think the best thing Canadians, Ukrainians could do right now is to be a calm, steady voice that is not panicking. Emad Global News. Well, the Ukrainian community in Kamloops also rallied at Riverside Park this afternoon following a special prayer service. Our ancestral homeland Ukraine, that they find deliverance and protection. Mercy. The Ukrainian Orthodox Church held the online service in support of those under siege in Ukraine. Many members of the congregation have friends and relatives in the country and say they feel hopeless as they watch the invasion unfolding on TV and online. It's heartbreaking. This morning when I was watching the news, I just saw all of these babas kneeling on the ground praying. And I just thought, how heartbreaking that old seniors who worked so hard to build up a country would take their lives in their hands and stand in the middle of an empty street in Kiev and pray. And that's all they can do. Well, after reporting an uptick in unprovoked attacks last fall, Vancouver's top cop says an ongoing project is underway to tackle street violence. And a lot of these people, we know who they are, and we're able to go after them on a precision basis using specialized resources. Speaking to the police board Thursday, Chief Adam Palmer revealed that an operation dubbed Task Force Agility is targeting those responsible for stranger assaults and smashed windows. The VPD is looking at chronic offenders and data analysis to determine where and when they need to deploy officers, including bike and foot patrols. The plan involves community engagement and public education. In Yaletown today, police handed out personal alarms at pop-up safety tents in Emory Barnes Park, the scene of a violent swarming attack last weekend. 
64 charges have been recommended since task force agility began. And that project is also cracking down on a crime hitting many businesses in the city. Kristen Robinson has more on the spike in glass breaks and the impact to shop owners who are already struggling to keep their doors open. A fiery team where Sarah Unchai and her husband turned a hole in the wall on Burrard Street into an award-winning eatery. But like many small businesses, their restaurant has been stirred by crime. The first one, they're trying to get inside at the back door. The second time, someone parked outside and smashed their front door. They're just breaking the window, get in, and like, trying, like, looking something, but didn't take anything. I don't know why. Surveillance captured the suspect in the senseless break-in, walking out and driving away, leaving the couple feeling disheartened. That we just feel like, you know, very disappointed, like, yeah, like all the bad, like, you know, coming at the same time. They're not alone. Two years into the pandemic, Vancouver police say glass breaks are up 40 percent since 2019. We're seeing glass breaks in the downtown core of the city where somebody is breaking a $20,000 scene of glass to steal a $250 item. An expensive fix for shopkeepers over what in many cases are stolen goods worth much less. Replacing the glass, also an ordeal due to supply chain issues. We got broken into twice in two weeks. Dave Dove's front window smashed before Christmas for two hats. People are desperate. Before the side window was broken, with jackets and clothing taken. Between both of them, it cost us five grand in glass. A substantial loss for the clothing store, which noticed an increase in crime once CERB payments ended. Yeah, it definitely feels like the VPD is stretched thin. Chief Adam Palmer says the VPD is engaged with government on crime issues in Vancouver, with he and two of his deputies recently meeting with three B.C. ministers. Business owners are hoping they'll be able to deliver the goods. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A public warning from North Vancouver RCMP after a young girl was sexually assaulted in the Seymour Heights area earlier this month. Police say the girl was walking on a trail close to a bridge in Trillium Park near Seymour Heights Elementary School on Friday, February 11th at about 5.30 p.m. That's when Mounties say a man approached her and groped her. She managed to fight him off before getting away. The suspect is described as a white man in his 40s with a slim build, graying hair and brown eyes. He was last seen wearing blue jeans, a black baseball cap, dark blue track jacket, blue face mask and was walking a small white dog that was off leash. If you have any information about the incident, you are asked to call North Vancouver RCMP. And a violent attack in Kelowna has left a UBC Okanagan security guard in hospital with life-threatening injuries. RCMP were called to the university campus just before 6 this morning. Police say they arrested a suspect who also worked at UBCO and detained them under the Mental Health Act. RCMP did not release details about the assault but say there is no risk to the public. Police are asking any witnesses to come forward.
A high-ranking B.C. gangster who has been the subject of an international manhunt for more than a decade has been arrested in Puerto Rico. The U.S. Marshal Service says Connor DeMonte, a former leader of the United Nations gang, was arrested in San Juan. DeMonte was charged with first-degree murder in 2011 for the shooting death of Red Scorpion Kevin LeClaire at a Langley strip mall in 2009. DeMonte then vanished, prompting an international search. The Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit, Integrated Homicide Investigation Team, and Canadian authorities will work with Ottawa and Puerto Rican officials to confirm the man arrested is indeed DeMonte, and if confirmed, will arrange for his extradition back to Canada. Well, it is a special weekend here at Global BC. The 56th annual Variety Show of Hearts Telethon, which aired earlier this afternoon. If you were able to donate to Variety, we thank you, of course. But if you haven't yet, there is still time to make a difference in the life of a child by calling 310KIDS. When you do, you might see your name added to the list of donors scrolling by at the bottom of your TV screen. And if you call right now, Don Gilbert from Coquitlam will be matching your donation up to $100,000 until the end of tonight's news hour. So take advantage of Don's generous offer and make your dollars go twice as far. And we'll update you on the total raised by the Show of Hearts Telethon a little bit later tonight on the news hour. Coming up, a major development project in Surrey will go ahead. South Campbell Heights will look very different in the coming years, and some people aren't happy about it at all. We'll explain next. Plus, fixing Vancouver's cup fee bylaw. A report goes to council next week, but we have the details for you tonight. Metro Vancouver Board has voted narrowly in favor of a plan by the City of Surrey to develop the ecologically sensitive area of South Campbell Heights. As Julia Foy reports, that comes despite concerns from not only environmentalists, but local First Nations as well. Following all the way over there, South Surrey resident Sarah Rush looks out over a pristine mix of forest and farmland that could now face a stark future. We're astounded that something this massive with the potential to do so much damage to the environment, to the Little Campbell River, um, wasn't kind of had a higher threshold. Metro Vancouver Board defer consideration of the main motion. On Friday, Metro Vancouver narrowly voted in favour of expanding the urban containment boundary which Surrey had proposed to increase the Campbell Heights industrial area. This has the potential to be a game changer for the Metro Vancouver region, not only for Surrey, uh, where we have the potential to bring in possibly another 130, more than 130 businesses, 20,000 jobs. But the new proposal is not where the current Campbell Heights development resides. Hundreds of pioneers are buried here at the Hazelmere Cemetery, which is near 192nd Street and 16th Avenue in Surrey. Now, while this parcel of land is protected, it sits in the middle of 600 acres. And the Little Campbell River runs right through it. Which is one of the most productive salmon streams um, in the Lower Mainland. One Surrey councillor is dead against the deal. It could utterly destroy the habitat here not just the river, but the entire area. The Semiamu First Nation is too. Unfortunately, this, this project was only brought to our attention as the nation at the 11th hour. 
Surrey Council and the Semiamu First Nation are scheduled to meet on March 14th, but it's unclear what can be achieved now that Metro Van has voted. Just cannot be tolerated. It's a disrespect to the nation. It is a complete contempt of UNDRIP. And I am so, so discouraged by Metro Vancouver for doing that. Julia Foy, Global News. The Port of Prince Rupert wants to double its capacity by adding a second container terminal. Canada's third largest port and DP World have entered into a two-year agreement to assess the feasibility of a second container terminal south of the existing Fairview Terminal in Prince Rupert. The project would add up to 2 million 20-foot containers to the port's annual capacity, boosting Canadian trade volume with Asia-Pacific markets. Studies on the proposed site will focus on how to minimize the environmental impact and improve the resilience of Canadian supply chains. The partners say they are committed to strengthening Indigenous economic interests in the port's ongoing development. A staff report that revisits Vancouver's single-use cup bylaw is going to City Council this week. The report recommends exempting free drinks from the cup fee by the end of March and requiring businesses to accept customers' reusable cups for drinks ordered in-store by July 1st. Since January, businesses have been required to charge customers 25 cents for single-use paper or plastic cups. But less than one month into the new bylaw, Council voted to have staff revisit visit the fee, which appear to be hurting those with low or no incomes the most. The report also recommends directing city staff to report back within 18 months with a timeline to require businesses to provide additional reusable options for dine-in and to-go drinks. Targeting Russian banks and oligarchs. Just ahead on the news hour, the latest on how the European Union wants its members to punish the Putin regime. Plus, America unmasked why the Centers for Disease Control says many healthy Americans can take a break from face coverings. And returning to our top story now, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is already taking a steep toll. Ukrainian officials say at least 200 people have been killed. Another 1,500 have been hurt, 34 of those children. Europe Bureau Chief Crystal Gomancing reports from neighboring Poland where thousands of Ukrainians have taken refuge. Another night full of the sounds of war. It's like a nightmare, but the most outrageous is that it isn't a nightmare, it isn't a dream. It's our reality. Olha Fayziva is in the capital when her husband and brother signed up to serve she moved in with her parents. There is a bomb shelter, a three-minute walk away, but it's full. So they sit in the dark together, waiting. No, we are not safe. It's impossible to be, you know, safe when you open the window and you can hear the explosions. No, okay, not near your house, your apartments, but you can hear them. You never know what uh, direction will be on the next time. Ukrainians are resisting the world's second most powerful army using every possible method. A video shared widely on social media shows a man standing in front of a Russian tank in the north of Ukraine. He then kneels down. An act of peaceful defiance that is being compared to a similar scene from Tiananmen Square in 1989. 
Not long after the Russian Federation launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, those who could started to make their way to neighboring countries, including Poland. We were taken by car and then we walked for a long time because it was impossible to go. We walked for almost half of the night to the border crossing point. And that's something we have heard from so many people as they cross over into Poland and save territory. They are desperately afraid about what happens to those left behind in Ukraine. Crystal Gamansing, Global News, Zheshov, Poland. Residents in Kyiv are spending the night in bomb shelters again. Some in the Ukrainian capital spending the night underground, including in car parks converted into family sleeping areas. They were told to get to shelters amid reports Russian forces were preparing for more airstrikes. Ukrainians are taking shelter in subways and under apartment complexes. Well, leaders on both sides of the Atlantic, including Canada, have reached an agreement to try to freeze Russia out of the international banking system. The White House says allies have agreed to hunt down and freeze the assets of sanctioned Russian companies and oligarchs. The president of the EU is asking countries to impose paralyzing restrictions on Russian finances. We will paralyze the assets of Russia's central bank. This will freeze its transactions and it will make it impossible for the central bank to liquidate assets. In health matters tonight, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control has eased its mask guidance, saying it's all right to be unmasked indoors in many parts of the U.S. CDC says more than half the counties in the U.S. are now at low or medium risk of COVID-19. That means nearly 70 percent of Americans will no longer be required to wear masks in those regions. Face coverings will still be required on federal transportation, a policy the agency plans to revisit by mid-March. Health officials emphasize that people should still wear masks if they wish to or if they are personally at high risk. Here in B.C., masking continues to be required in all indoor public spaces. No homes and no idea what the future holds. Up next, we check in with some of the hundreds of people still evacuated from Merritt and hear about the city's plan for rehousing some of them temporarily. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It's been four months since devastating flooding forced the evacuation of the entire town of Merritt. And yet many are still struggling to deal with the disaster. As Claudia Van Emmerich reports, more than 900 people remain out of their homes, with many of them scattered across the province. Okay, well, your purpose is running. Cheryl and Mark Finnegan are in the midst of repairing their Merritt home. We had to insulate all the way halfway through because it was all wet. The house was so flood damaged it had to be completely gutted inside. The pair, among hundreds of people, still out of their homes following last fall's catastrophic flooding that forced the evacuation of the entire town of 7,000. We're still living in a motel, so <laughs> can't live in here. There's no toilet. This is actually an area that was uh, um, flooded as well. 
With displaced residents occupying all of the available hotel rooms in town, many have been put up elsewhere. We have people all throughout the province right now from Abbotsford to Kelowna and in between. So uh, there's such a shortage of, of accommodation and merit that we can't really get them back here yet. With more than 900 people displaced and scattered across the province, the city is concerned that the longer the recovery efforts take, the greater the chance that people settle and restart their lives elsewhere, which could be hurtful to the local economy. It does have a big impact on the economy because people aren't here, the, the store owners aren't here, the workers in the stores aren't here, and businesses may close down and we have to try and recover from that as well, which is why we want our people to come back home. The city is desperately hoping to use this former motel as emergency housing to get some of the displaced residents closer to home. It's been earmarked as a future cold weather shelter by BC Housing. But city officials are urging the province to speed up the process to bring the displaced residents home. People are our number one priority. Uh, we want to make sure they're taken care of. Uh, along those lines, it's accommodation that's really important to us right now. As the city pleads for that emergency housing, it's also issuing an urgent reminder to homeowners that the deadline for disaster financial assistance is on March 3rd, just days away. As for when the city will be fully recovered from the natural disaster, that could be a while yet. There's so many different pieces and, and parts to that as far as the infrastructure that needs to be repaired. Some will will be completed within months, maybe in the summer, but the bigger projects could take years. Claudia Van Global News, Merit. All right, time to bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell with a look at that weather forecast. And uh, what a difference a day makes, Yvonne. <laughs> yeah, and temperatures warming up as we get into the next few. But yes, we are tracking some rainfall heavy at times this evening. And it's really the areas I wanted to draw your attention that we see in the orange and yellows. That's where we've got some heavier pockets, even rolling through Surrey and up and towards Maple Ridge at this hour. So we've got heavy rainfall this evening, very windy conditions. And that's the big weather story that we're following across the island. And we've also had temperatures with a bit of a transition inland across the island. We've seen some snowfall this evening still with up to five centimeters. That's inland and then changing over to rain. This is what we'll also be seeing for most areas leading in towards the morning hours for tomorrow. So overnight tonight, though, for Metro Vancouver, it is going to ease off in terms of the precipitation, but the wind still with gusts of up to 60 kilometers per hour. Through the morning hours, we've got on and off showers and then a heavier wave of rain as we get in towards this evening. And that'll be key Sunday leading in towards our Monday. And we've got a significant amount of snow if you're traveling along the mountain passes. That coming up in just a moment. Winds, though, this evening for all areas that are in red, we can see that from Haida Gwaii extending in towards the northern tip of Vancouver Island, upwards of 100 kilometers per hour. Western edge of the island between 80 and 100 and most areas for the eastern side between 70 and up to 90. And that includes the Sunshine Coast. And then that's where we've got the gray area that we could still see the potential for some snowfall. Heads up as well, we've got heavy snow that is on the way. We've got a series of systems and this will continue all the way in towards midweek. The one area of concern though for this evening and in towards tomorrow will be along the Coquihalla from Hope to Merritt with 10 and up to 20 centimeters. That's possible. A wave of rainfall this evening, a bit of a low on the action. It's just lighter precipitation for tomorrow and then intensifying towards the evening. And then heavy snow is going to move in for all all areas and towards the southern interior and this will be key as we get ahead in towards our Monday for back to work and school. The commute could be a tricky one. We've got snowfall for Worcester 5 and up to 10 centimeters and most of the mountain passes 
You'll want to check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions, but along the Coquihalla is where we could see upwards of 10, potentially closer to 20 centimetres, and then another wave of heavier snow will be for tomorrow night. Snow mixed with rain inland, a bit of a transition similar for the central interior, much of the southern interior. The big concern will be Sunday, leading in towards Monday, that the higher elevations will see a significant amount of snow. Rain and heavy at times picks up once again for tomorrow night and very windy. We could still see those winds potentially up to 60 kilometres per hour and 40 for the early morning hour. So a bit of a blustery one for the end of our weekend and leading in towards early next week. Silver lining so far, however, temperatures will start to bump up. We're actually getting back into the double digits with highs up to 12 degrees. There's always a trade-off, right? Yes. Thank you, Yvonne. Well, the 56th annual Show of Hearts wrapped up earlier this afternoon, raising funds to support Variety, the children's charity. The annual telethon featuring performances by David Foster and Catherine McPhee, along with local icon Colin James. The show also had some surprises from Variety, such as five-year-old Lucy getting her own adaptive tricycle so that she can keep up with her twin sister. 11-year-old Jason receiving a grant to help cover the cost of a porch lift so that he can access the top floor of his house in his wheelchair. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> oh, wow. You're getting porch lift, I mean. What? Jason never, uh, Jason did not see uh, our second floor for a long time, so... <laughs> It would be a it would be a very good. I mean, like I'm I'm lost for words now. So thank you. <laughs> so great to see. All right. Well, we are still tallying the total, but it's up there. It's more than that, and we'll have the update for you at the end of the newscast. You still have time to make a donation to Variety as well. The phone lines will be open until the end of tomorrow's news hour. So please call three ten kids now. All right, we're all here together now Yay. in our separate little boxes. <laughs> Hi, Barry. How you doing, Soap? Good to see you. Nice Working the weekends, sometimes you got to do it, I guess. <laughs> hey, you know what? We're all pitching in during the pandemic. Exactly. Well, Whitecaps had their season opener in uh, Columbus against the crew, and uh, I wish I had good news for you, but if you're going to lose, lose good, I guess. It wasn't close. 4 nil they lost, so we'll have uh, highlights, if you can call them that, uh, coming up in that. But with the easing of the uh, pandemic restrictions, great news for high school sports, and the provincial wrestling was held uh, this weekend at the Coliseum, so we'll have a story on that as well. All right, we'll talk to you in a bit. Thank you very much. Also ahead tonight, prices up, stock down. How Russia's invasion of Ukraine is adding to the stress on the global supply chain. Well, one of the most immediate impacts of the conflict in Ukraine here in B.C. is at the gas pumps. Many gas station prices in Metro Vancouver soared up to 183.9 uh, cents a litre today. The volatility largely caused by concerns about the disruption of the global oil supply, with Western nations cutting off oil and gas sales given the sanctions slapped against Russia. And with regional fuel taxes in the lower mainland and the carbon tax, Metro Vancouver drivers are experiencing some of the highest prices on the continent right now. Already strained supply chains are expected to be further disrupted by the escalating Russian invasion in Ukraine. As Global's Anne Gaviola reports, there will be an impact on nearly everything you buy, especially vehicles, electronics and food. The pandemic did a number on supply chains, and now there's escalating violent conflict in Ukraine. The war is hitting stock and bond markets around the world, pumping up the already high price of oil, which drives up the cost of just about everything else, according to economists. 
And just on the uh, oil and transportation cost piece, this is huge. Uh, Transportation costs affect pretty much everything we consume. Seven in 10 businesses across Canada found supply chain challenges got worse this winter. More than 90% expect things to stay the same or go downhill this spring. The top three supply chain headaches, delivery delays, higher input costs, and supply shortages. The war in Ukraine threatens all of it. Russia and Ukraine make up a third of all wheat exports. And while that won't hinder your ability to find a loaf of bread, it's going to drive up the price tag and the cost of a slew of other food items. And that's bad news for household budgets, especially those already struggling. Overall, for consumers, this is quite hurtful. The auto industry has been grappling with higher costs for steel and other materials, but now a workaround for key minerals normally sourced from Eastern Europe is in the card, which isn't ideal, according to the head of the Automotive Parts and Manufacturers Association. There isn't a shortage of supplies of those critical minerals, just that you'd have to resource them from places you don't want to source them from, like China. Europe stands to bear the economic brunt of the conflict, particularly Germany, because of its economic ties to both countries. A knock to German assembly lines, where critical parts and technology are produced, creates a ripple effect. The semiconductor industry is bracing for more disruption, depending on what happens next. If this conflict in Ukraine continues to escalate and and Europe is pulled in, uh, absolutely, I believe we'll start to feel uh, dramatic uh, repercussions for our supply chain here in Canada. Microchips are key components in phones, smart fridges, gaming consoles, laptops and cars. So be prepared for the possibility of more delays the longer this military conflict continues. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. Season opener for the Whitecaps. Barry DeLay has sports next. Plus, why it's a special weekend for the team from Haida Gwaii at the High School Wrestling Championship. Support hungry kids in our community. One in three Canadian children are at risk of going to school hungry. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies, benefiting student nutrition programs for kids in our community. Visit globalnews.ca slash Toonies for Tummies for info. Don't miss the Canadian E-Fest coming to Vancouver's False Creek this summer. Explore the event combining Formula E racing, e-sports, music, arts, and more. Get tickets and info at canadianefest.com. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's here. We've got some drama in Detroit, which you'll get to, Barry. Uh, but first, uh, not a great start for the Whitecaps. I'm not sure if there's quite the word to describe how bad they uh, were today. All right, thanks, Soph. Whitecaps fans uh, certainly won't forget today's 2022 season opener, but I'm sure they'd like to. After such a fantastic run under Benny Sartini to end last season, hopes were high that the Whitecaps could pick up where they left off. But the Whitecaps were crushed 4-0 by the Columbus crew in Vancouver's worst loss with Vanny Sartini at the helm. Thomas Assault, young man taking over from the departed Max Crepeau as the number one goalkeeper, didn't get off to a good start, but hardly his fault. Miguel Berry's shot goes off Jake Nerwinski and then off Ranko Veselinovic. So no chance for Hassal as the ball bounds past him. Somehow that's not an own goal credited to Miguel Berry. 1-0 Columbus later in the half. Whitecaps defense nowhere to be found. Derek Etienne with acres of space, plenty of time. And he will fire past Hassal. 2-0 crew at the half. It could have been worse. Columbus missed a few golden opportunities. Early second half, Whitecaps come out on the attack. Christian Dahomey 
from the top of the box. Good contact, but well wide. That was the Caps' best chance of the match. Did not hit the target once on this day. A few minutes later, crew with a break opportunity. Jake Nerwinski hustling back with a push in the back. The referee shows a yellow card, and since Nerwinski had a yellow in the first half, it's a red card, and he's out. Debatable at best, but the cap's down to 10 men. Crew put the pedal down, got a couple of late ones, including this one from Lucas Zellerayan. White Caps outclassed from start to finish. 4-0 crew, a very humbling start for Vanny Sartini and the Caps. The worst loss in Vanny's tenure as head coach. That's on us. We need to. Uh, we need to. Okay, uh, forget the result. Don't forget the thing that we have to do better. Work on it, and uh, because next Saturday there's another uh, top team coming to BC Place, and we need to do better. We'll find out tomorrow if the Canucks are in a New York state of mind. Canucks kicking off back-to-back games against the Rangers and Devils, and it's the Islanders on Thursday before they conclude their four-game Eastern Road Swing Saturday against the Leafs. Today they put Tucker Pullman on long-term injury. Kyle Burrows also placed on the injury list. NHL today, Oilers and Panthers from Florida. Second period, Oilers down 2-1, but... They tie it up. Derek Ryan having himself a day. That's his second of the game. Snaps it top shelf on Sergei Bobrovsky. Now 3-2 Oilers. Evander Kane will find Ryan for his third of the game. The first career hat trick for the 35-year-old Ryan. It's 4-2 Edmonton. Third period. Panthers pushing hard to rally back. But uh, Miko Koskinen was the difference. Robs Carter Verhege on the breakaway. And then later... Alexander Barkov, who is a sniper with the one-timer, but an incredible glove save by Koskinen. 44 saves for him. Oilers win it 4-3 over the Panthers. Oilers now five points up on the Canucks. Also today, uh, Penguins and Rangers from Pittsburgh. Delta's Tristan Jari continues to be a candidate for the Vesna Trophy. What a year he's had. Some huge saves early on against the Rangers to keep it scoreless after two periods. Third period, this view from the cheap seats, but it's Evgeny Malkin on the power play. Snaps at home. That was the only goal of the game for the Penguins. Uh, Jari did the rest. Turns back Mika Zibanejad here. Jari, 27 saves. Fourth shout-out of the season for Jari. Pens take it one nothing. Of course, Rangers host Canucks tomorrow at 4:30. Habs and Sens from Ottawa. Look who's back in the NHL: the Hamburglar, South Surrey's Andrew Hammond had that great run with Ottawa back in 2015. Back in Ottawa tonight as a member of the Habs, traded there last week. Even some hamburgers thrown onto the ice. They still love him there. He's 34 now. Still has a great uh, NHL record: 2.33 goals against average in just 57 games. They had a solid night. Some of his best saves. It was. 1-1 late in the second, thanks to Hammond's fine work. Late second, Habs take the lead. Arturi Lekkinen with the quick release from the slot. His second of the night beats Murray. 2-1 Habs after two. That's the way it ends. Hamburglar gets the win. 2-1 the final. Habs with their fifth straight victory. Some golf now. The Honda Classic, PGA National from Palm Beach Gardens in Florida. Adam Spenson of Surrey beginning the day. Just four shots behind leader Daniel Berger. Fifth hole. Delicate downhiller, little double breaker, knocks it down for birdie. Gets to a seven under, tied for third for Svensson. Then at the sixth, his third shot from the bunker on the par four. No putter required here. Another perfect shot. That is a birdie for Svensson. Now tied for second, working up the leaderboard. But PGA National is a tough track. Bogeyed the eighth. And then at the 11th from 205 yards over the water, but didn't quite get it 
over the water. It's a penalty stroke there. It's a double bogey for Svensson. Fell all the way back from minus eight to minus four. Meanwhile, Daniel Berger, who uh, lives just around the corner from this golf course, very impressive, just two bogeys through 54 holes, sticks his tee shot on the par 315th, led to a birdie. He has got a big five-shot lead at 11 under. Back to Svensson, finishes strong at the 18th, another great bunker shot, leads to a tap-in birdie. He's at five under, sixth place, one shot out of second. Merritt's Roger Sloan shot five over 75. He's now 35th place. NBA tonight, Raptors and Hawks from Atlanta. Toronto got blown out in Charlotte last night. First game after their nine-day All-Star break. Much better energy tonight. Precious Achua throws it down. And the Raps led by eight. But uh, it went very badly after that. Atlanta went on an 18-0 run. Their All-Star Trey Young leading the way. Two of his game-high 37 as Atlanta is on their way to a blowout victory. 118-90 very late in the fourth. A month ago, BC High School Sports wasn't even sure it would even have a provincial wrestling championship because COVID restrictions had more questions than answers at that time. But fortunately, it all worked out. And the only thing 400 kids had to grapple with at the Coliseum this weekend was each other. It was a decision the government and BC High School Sports truly wrestled with, but allowing the provincial tournament to go on as planned with fans in the stands is much appreciated by all involved. After last year's championship was cancelled due to COVID, these student athletes are all smiles. They actually get to finish the fight this time around. It's great. My dad's here to see me, and I was scared he wouldn't be able to because it means a lot to him as well to see that I'm doing this. Um, and just the crowd makes it just that much better and it makes other people enjoy other than just yourself. Probably my teammates. It's been so fun cheering them on. I love the experience. I love all the crowd screaming. I just love it all. I mean, I get really nervous, but it's still, it still makes me fired up. I'm really excited. You can't beat youthful enthusiasm, especially when it's been all pent up for nearly two years now. Now you're up. Yeah. Here we go. Have fun. Thank you. Yeah. It's also a very emotional time for the small team from Haida Gwaii that made the trip. Coach Robert Brown gets to see his son wrestle at a provincials for the first time, but there's so much more to this experience that's unique for these wrestlers from Haida Gwaii. For the first time in our uh, years of wrestling, every kid representing GTN is of Haida ancestry, so it's, it's actually pretty, it's a proud moment for myself as a coach. I'm trying to teach them that wrestling's more than just a sport, that their attitudes will transition into high school, through their schools, and then at home, right? Just trying to teach them the respect. That's the sentiment here. Getting to compete in a tournament like this, considering what's gone on the past two years, truly represents picking yourself up off the mat. Everyone recognizes that a lot of what we do is beyond just developing sport, it's about developing kids and, uh, and this is so important. Whether you place first or you just got here, uh, it's really important that this opportunity is for the kids. A lot of smiles there, good to see. And, and you referenced the Detroit-Toronto game. It was, Crazy. wasn't much about half an hour ago, that's why we decided not to show highlights, but <laughs> since then, it's, uh, it was 7-2 Leafs at one point, now it's 9-7 Toronto, so it's kind of an 80s game going on in Detroit tonight. I mean, if you wanted to show highlights, you'd have to take up like half of this show. Yeah, sorry, no weather, maybe no news. <laughs> All right, thanks, Barry. Up next, why a famous alpine hut near Banff will soon disappear after a century there.
Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. Canada's mountaineering community is sharing memories of an historic site that Parks Canada says must be removed. This is the Abbott Pass Refuge Cabin located on the border of Banff and Yoho National Parks at an elevation of almost 3,000 meters. The hut was built by Swiss guides back in 1922. The Alpine Club of Canada has operated it since 1985 as a refuge for mountaineers and advanced hikers. Parks Canada says slope erosion and glacial recession caused by climate change means the site is no longer safe for visitors. It's certainly the most well-known hut in Canada, maybe North America, and it's it's a it's a big loss. People love the place. It's there's a deep attachment by anybody who's been there and many who haven't been. It's it's a it's a blow, it's heartbreaking. Work to stabilize the site was done in 2018, but Parks Canada says additional work will unlikely prevent further erosion. The Alpine Club of Canada is asking people to send them their memories of the hut. Well, as I mentioned, it has been a big weekend here, a great three days of the variety show of hearts on Global, and we want to thank you for your support. Let's take a look at the numbers. So far, you have helped to raise $6,775,435 for Variety, and we're still counting. Thank you so much, BC. And a reminder, if you haven't had a chance to call, the phone lines will be open until 7 tomorrow evening, and we'll have the final total for you on Monday night's news hour. Climbing as fast as that leaf scoreboard. It's 10-7 <laughs> for Toronto now. Incredible. And there's still, what, four minutes left to go in the game? Lots, yeah. Craziness. That's all the time we have. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks.